0: All right. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent, be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're looking at uh, verses 12 through 18. working out our salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is a significant explanation the explanation of four, um, and it uses the same verb to work. God is at work in you to will and to work of his good pleasure and it's the same work or related in a, in a way with the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling. So we've got uh, these details here that we've got to deal with as well. Before we do tonight, let's take a moment of silent prayer, a couple moments of silent prayer to make sure we're in fellowship, confessing anything that needs to be dealt with as we approach the, the study of God's Word. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank You for Your truth, we thank You for Your faithfulness, we thank You for Your blessings in our lives day by day and moment by moment. We call upon Your faithfulness, Father, this evening as we assemble to show ourselves approved. Father, I thank You that uh, we have a grace provision here and we wouldn't have it any other way. Father, what You give is perfect, comes down from above, there's no uh, variation or shadow of turning, and uh, every perfect gift, every good thing bestowed, Father. So uh, if You haven't given it to us, we don't want it. And uh, this includes the property we toured today, this includes uh, ideas and dreams, and if uh, if all of those are not your will then get rid of them, Father, and uh, make your will known. So uh, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for tonight. Open the eyes of our understanding and teach us your truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright. We have a microphone ready to go. He already has it in hand, ready to go. And so... Uh, We'll give Eliezer our first question. How about that? Lead-off question for tonight. We have the young healthy man tonight so we can run him ragged.
1: Romans 8:14. Romans 8:14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It, my question is 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 it the same as that it, is the word sons of God the same word as in Genesis 6:2 where it's referring to angels? No, it's
0: not. Okay. Well, the re- well, you say the same words. The problem is, of course, Genesis is is written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, and and uh, Romans is written in Greek in the New Testament, and so, um, so there there is a difference between the Old Testament use of sons of God and New Testament use of the Son of God, and then you and I that are brothers, brethren with Him, and by faith in Christ we become sons of God. So. Um, I think as long as we're cautious with that, we do, we do fine. So in a New Testament passage like this, it's, uh, it's written to human beings, it's written to the bride of Christ, and so we who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the, the sons of God. And that's us, the sons of God by faith in Christ. Um, but that use is not found in the Old Testament, that is being uh, you know, a son of God by faith in Christ. In, in the Old Testament usage the beneha Elohim are angelic beings, and they are a division, the highest of the order divisions. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
1: the other question I had was in First Thessalonians five nineteen and 20, there is uh, do not quench the spirit and then do not despise prophetic utterances. Right. Uh, what does the Apostle Paul have in mind while he's referring to prophetic utterances here? and Or at least what gift of the spirit might that be the closest equivalent of?
0: Excellent question, yes.
1: And does the same word appear in Revelation nineteen ten?
0: Revelation 19.10 for quench or for?
1: For uh, prophesying he's using.
0: Oh, prophetic utterances, yeah. Yeah, that's a standard propheteia, so I would expect that to be throughout the New Testament. Um, Let me just pull up a word study there while I'm at it. And a search. Pull that up while I'm at it as well. All right. So, do not quench the Spirit. And then it's used immediately with, do not despise prophetic utterances. And you ask yourself in context, you ask yourself as an exegetical question, are those two different commands or is that a repetition of the same command? Is he saying the same thing in two different ways to reinforce it, which is quite common, actually. And I I take it that way. That that quenching the Spirit uh, is, is equivalent to, in this context, Despising prophetic utterance—that is, God, the Holy Spirit is coming upon one of their apostles, one of their prophets, one of their Bible teachers, and a message is coming forth, and and they're not going to receive it. They're going to be—they're going to—they're uh, yeah, not going to uh, receive the word of God as it's sent. It's like uh, today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the day of of wilderness. And so, um, clearly, this is a, a, a imperative that we have to adapt to our current our current stewardship. We're no longer in the prophetic age, right? So we're in the, I believe the canon is closed and that apostles and prophets were designed to lay the foundation of the church. And I believe that because Ephesians and Revelation and other passages indicate that. That the foundation of the church is laid by the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And that the warning in Revelation about adding to the words of this prophecy apply not only to Revelation, the book, but to all the Bible. At that point, the canon is closed. So when it says, do not despise prophetic utterances, it's still valid for us to be admonished by and to learn from, but we would have to put it in the context appropriate to our day and age and say, you know, with humility receive the Word of God implanted that's able to save your souls. You don't, uh, when the Word of God is going forth, don't just despise it as as human opinion and say, oh well, you know, Pastor Bob's up on his soapbox again and he's ranting on something. You know, if if this is the Word of the Lord coming from Scripture, then don't despise that. That's the, the imperative there. Because when you do despise that, you're actually quenching the Holy Spirit. And we're told seven times, he that has an ear let him hear, what the Holy Spirit communicates to the local churches, and that's how it operates in our stewardship. So it is uh, propheteia, and it is used um, 19 times in the New Testament, including Revelation 19.10, where... um, Was that the verse you were asking about? Yes. 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 The uh, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's also used a bunch of times in... uh, Revelation 22, 7, 10, 18, and 19. So four times in the final chapter of Revelation 22. So, excellent questions.
1: Okay, can I ask one more? Or okay. Uh, Matthew nineteen twelve. Matthew nineteen twelve. 12. Um, this reference, there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. Probably refers to Daniel being one of them. But what does he refer to, made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, and what does that really mean?
0: Right. Yeah, this is enforced celibacy. That's not normal. Uh, typical normal family life is marriage, uh, but there are cases in which uh, there is an enforced celibacy, uh, as in the case when, uh, in you know, um, birth defects leave a person uh, incapable in that way. Uh, also, uh, uh, there's of course mutilation on the part of a conquering uh, army when uh, slaves are taken and they're made eunuchs. That's, uh, that's also quite common in the ancient world. Um, and then there are self-eunuchs. Now we don't believe that they mutilate themselves literally, but it's a metaphoric understanding that these are the uh, brothers and sisters that determine that they're going to live out their lives in a, in a single fashion for the greater uh, fruit of, and undistracted devotion. Because if you're married, your interests are divided. And you've you've got to please your wife and please the Lord and uh, I think the pastor last night would have had a pretty good joke there about, uh, about that. But he was, he was a funny guy. Kept talking about his wife a lot. Anyway, that, does that answer the question on that? Okay. Uh, front row then, we got Robert up here with a question. Yeah, he was hilarious last night. That, uh, I enjoyed that.
1: Jumping back to Eliezer's question
0: number two, uh-huh. quenching the spirit. I've, I've been in churches where uh, the only person who ministered was the pastor. And Everyone else was discouraged from doing either by the the way the teaching was presented or actually physically discouraged from uh, Exercising their spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. and that would be quenching the spirit as well wouldn't it? I could see that as an application. I don't think that's what Thessalonians was addressing But I do think you're right when when you are dismissive of a believer's legitimate exercise of his gift uh, if if there's a believer that's trying to exercise an encouragement gift or trying to exercise uh, any gift and and that gets rejected or dampened or excluded I could see that yeah I could draw that as an application sure yeah mono gifted church is uh there's a term for that it's called bad yeah <laughs> sick yeah that's absolutely no you want a flock where Every gift is uh, is identified and trained and equipped and serving and all the good things that happen there. All right, other questions tonight? I can give a last call. We started slightly late because of the technical difficulties, but God is faithful. All right, well then. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. By the way, any um, the website is a marvelous resource, and I don't I don't promote it enough. Um, but in particular, if there's a, a, a subject that you think maybe we've taught before, uh, we probably have. Okay, and and there's a there's a search bar on there where you can do a Google search uh, through our documents. Um, once you find if there's something there, uh, or if you suspect it's there, um, in particular the through the Bible series is indexed very well. Uh, the Life of Christ series is indexed very well. So a question that comes from the Gospels, a uh, question about you know walking on water or whatever, uh, if, it's, if it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John then you know, we dealt with it in the, in the Life of Christ series. Um, somebody was asking about the, uh, the Mary Magdalene, oh, I was talking to John Eichmann today, Pastor John Eichmann on the phone and talking about the Mary Magdalene episode because she was the first one to the tomb. And uh, the, the details that are found there in, in John chapter 20. And so it's, it's a blessing to have that resource available. And you just go to the website and pull it up and, and look at the notes. And, and, and if you want, listen to the audio and, and, uh, and go through that. So it's, uh, it is a resource and it is available. Yeah, I can. Uh, I mean, you go to AustinBibleChurch.com and... Uh, yeah, let me show you here the um and of course everybody when you launch your web browser your home page better be austinbiblechurch.com. if it's not you know we may have issues so anyway right here is a search box right underneath the, the drawing of the building there and so you can type in there a topic anything that you think maybe we've covered in the past something you think that we've dealt with um, something related to uh say Lazarus you know something like that and you're going to get these results back that are include, and then in, once you start doing more and more of this, you'll start to recognize what series it comes from, what the context is for it, um, returns to home of Mary and Martha, the plot to kill Lazarus, the reaction to Lazarus' resurrection, the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, so those are all, if if they're the, the words like that, then those are going to be PDF documents and those are going to be phrases or titles in uh, in in printed notes in PDF documents, and then down below there, now you're going to see uh, Life of Christ 317, uh, Life of Christ 288. You know, those are audio files; those are MP3 audio files that are going to have those particular tags as well. So, anyway, that's that's an easy way to navigate. The search button's an easy way to navigate. Um, also, I recommend um, again when you come to the home page, uh, right across the top there. A lot of times, I go to audio recordings. And then I come over here to completed studies, and just every once in a while, just you know, depending on how long you've been here and the things you remember or the things you forget because you don't remember that. Oh yeah, there was a Timothy series once upon a time, right? Or there was a there was a Romans class or Life of David or Jeremiah, and you can just kind of remind yourself that oh yeah, okay, maybe uh you know maybe I want to do this Psalm one nineteen thing, and uh, so when you bring that up. It's just marvelous the way that it lists the audio files there. It gives you the divisions. You've got the PDF documents at the bottom, so you have printed notes to look at. I rarely put out printed notes for the current series as they're being taught because they're constantly being revised and typos fixed and other mistakes are being remedied. But once the series is complete, then those notes are available almost immediately once the series is over. So um, yeah, the website's a, a, a tremendous resource for that, and all the functionality of this is uh, is so useful that uh, even when we move over to the new the new website design, it's going to incorporate every last one of these convenience uh, features that's uh, that's available. So, anyway, good question on that. Appreciate that. All right, Philippians two. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so uh, we've been taking this in the word order, so that means we're delaying our workout. Uh, Everybody does that. But we're delaying our workout because the workout is the last verb of the verse. It's the last word of the verse. And it's uh, the word order in in the Greek, it starts with the so then and it ends with the workout. And everything in between, including the with fear and trembling, work out. And so uh, we're kind of developing the outline in that same order. So point two in the outline, under under point one we looked at the so then, and then under point two we're looking at the fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, the salvation of yourselves keep on working out. And that's kind of the word order on that. Uh, The keep on working out is a present imperative and so that's a continuous action all day, every day. Uh, We're going to keep doing that for the the duration of our time on this earth. Um, But the fear and trembling we recognize not only is it the manner in which they will work out their salvation this is so huge, it is exactly the manner in which they have always obeyed. And and we don't want to miss that because that's the significance here of the just as. The just as. Just as you have always obeyed in that same manner, in that same means, okay? So don't overlook the just as. The Bible's full of them. Especially the imperatives we have to walk, just as we have received mercy. Right? Or uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. There's there's an equivalency that's being drawn. The Bible's constantly saying, in what manner did you receive grace? Well then, in that manner, keep walking right? If it was by grace through faith that you got saved, then it's by grace through faith you got to keep walking. So just as, just as. So uh, this fear and trembling, and uh, that's uh, what's expected of them. With fear and trembling, they will be working out their salvation. And the, with fear and trembling ought to be uh, an encouragement because Paul's not asking them to do anything they're not already doing. They've, they're already in this mode. They're already in this attitude. They have the fear of the Lord attitude. They have the trembling that goes with the fear of the Lord. I think, the, uh, I think it's a nice tandem. It's not just an idiomatic thing where you kind of you lump them together and you, you forget that each of them is a separate thing, right? That uh, the fear of the Lord is what it is, but then why does it come with trembling? Any ideas? Why do you think the fear of the Lord comes with trembling? If you fear the Lord and He loves you, then why tremble? Isn't it all good after that? Okay. You're right, yeah, but it's not really we're not the Bible doesn't say be scared of God, but we want to have a reverence, we want to have a holy fear, we want to be in reverence before our God. And with that comes the trembling, I think, because we know that any on any given day we can walk away from that fear. That's right. And and we might we might uh you know the, the warnings in Hebrews are very real warnings. And they're not warnings of losing salvation, but they're warnings of abandoning that fear. Falling away from the living God. Of having an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And boy, if that doesn't make you trouble, okay? I think the, the, the recognition that we're all vulnerable to apostasy. We're all vulnerable to negative volition. We're all vulnerable. Yes, we have the fear of the Lord today, but I could lose that fear of the Lord tomorrow. And and and, if you, and that ought to make us tremble. In that in that sense, anyway, Paul is fond of the expression. It has a Septuagint foundation in Psalm two eleven, and uh, we took the time to work through that. All right. Now we're dealing with the salvation of yourselves, the salvation of yourselves, te tone soterian, the salvation of you guys, and um, I think we're all in agreement that we can't work for our uh, eternal life, okay? So when we use salvation in in those three primary ways, uh, plus, you know, some would add a fourth and a fifth, but uh, just the three primary ways that that sozo is used and soteria is used, it's used uh, positionally, it's used experientially, and it's used ultimately, right? And this is what we do when we draw it out on the diagram. We draw the cross, we draw the walk, we draw the crown, and that's phase one, phase two, phase three. And, and we ought to teach this so many times that it's, it's, it's just, you can teach in your sleep, okay? We ought to teach it such that it, it just forms a part of your automatic uh, muscle memory or whatever you would call that, your, your soul memory. of you've just heard it so many times, you can teach it to your friends and your neighbors and your enemies and whoever else wants to hear it. So, when, so just relax about the word save. Relax about the term salvation. When it says work out your salvation, it doesn't mean you have to work to earn eternal life. That doesn't mean that it's up to you to, to try to produce your uh, positional salvation. I hope we're clear on that. All right? Because you know, if this was the only verse in the Bible that ever talked about salvation, then we'd, we might be left wondering. But we have such context, and we have so many comparative passages and so many things to look at that you start to line all these verses up. Right? Do that sometime. Just take a a weekend, take a take an afternoon, and just uh, find every soteria in the Bible, find every sozo in the Bible, and then just start, you know, putting them in their buckets. This is a phase one salvation verse. You know, uh, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. All right, great. I get that. And so um, you can think of it as as past, present, future. You could think of it as positional, experiential, ultimate. These are all different, excellent ways. You could think of it as being saved from the penalty of sin, being saved from the power of sin, being saved from the presence of sin. That's a fairly common one too that uses a bunch of Ps and people can remember the Ps. Um, But Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Okay? And I, I put that in my phase one bucket. That's talking about going from death into life and receiving eternal life and becoming a part of the family of God. And uh, and there it is. Same thing with Acts 16.31 when the Philippian jailer is asking that. Same thing with Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, also to the Greek. And and as you're working your way through this by the way, keep in mind uh, it can be helpful if there's a word gospel nearby. <laughs> if there's a word gospel in the neighborhood of of the word saved. Um, Yeah, that's kind of a clue. That might lead you to think naturally uh, of a a phase one use, but then be careful because there's other kinds of good news besides the good news of not going to hell when you die. There's other kinds of good news that might have a a phase three or even a a fourth categorization where the good news is a physical rescue or a deliverance into the millennial kingdom or, or something of that nature. The gospel of the kingdom or other applications there. All right? Ephesians 2, 5 and 8. We all can quote verse 8, but I I like to put verse 5 with verse 8 because that's what the text does. By grace you have been saved. What does that mean? You've been made alive. God who is rich in mercy and uh, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. See? And so... um, you know, occasionally you get a skeptic, you get a doubter, and he's, he wants to be like, I don't know, he wants to be like Pilate when he's washing his hands saying what is truth, or he wants to be like the lawyer when he says who's my neighbor or whatever. There's always some ornery person that's going to stop and say well what do you mean by saved? Okay. Well I'm glad you asked. Let me, let me talk to you about that. Okay? How about being made alive together with Christ? You're either dead in Adam or you're alive in Christ. And uh, for the, I mean, just lay it out there like that. And, um, you know, particularly if you're dealing with uh, bizarre approaches that, that want to deny that, you can, that, that salvation is an event. They'll say it's an ongoing process and you can never ever point to a time where you, you know, they would deny this slide. They would deny the past salvation reality and say, no, it's, it's an ongoing life process. I'm being saved. Well that's the second category. I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we can talk about that but let's talk about the first one first. Because if you don't receive the first one you'll never understand that second one. If you're not spiritually alive you can't grasp the things of the Word of God. So you can know it's a past completed action. You can know you've passed out of death into life. You can have assurance that you right now have eternal life because you've had it since that moment you got saved. And that's a, that's a factual reality for all of us. Alright, and so that's the description there. Verse 5 and verse 8 So made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. How did this happen? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. You are presently now having been saved ones. It's a past completed action with present ongoing results. And that which is not pointing back to faith, that is not a feminine that, that is a neuter that, and faith is a feminine noun so the that can't be faith That, not of yourselves, It is the gift of God. This is why grammar matters. This is why genders matter. It's not a transgender that, okay? It's a neuter that. It's a feminine faith. It always is a feminine faith, okay? And so uh, you can't have a neuter pronoun referring to a, a feminine noun. Anyway, that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. That's our past salvation. All right. Then there's the ongoing, present salvation. This is what we need today. This is what we need tomorrow. We need all day, every day. We need daily salvation. We need moment-by-moment moment salvation. We need the blood of Jesus Christ His Son to continually keep on cleansing us from all sin. All right. And this is where the power of the Word of God comes alive in our soul and we get rescued, delivered, saved from the power of sin when the temptations are hitting us and our sin nature wants to just give right in. Remember, in this battle, the body is working against you, okay? And uh, there you have it. But this is a present experiential use. This is the ongoing salvation. And I could have added to this, there's there's many, many more. Um, I think of the the one I just mentioned a minute ago is in James. Um, So I'll spot that real quickly and then we can... Look at these other ones, but it's in James chapter one, and you know we're not supposed to be hearers of the Word that delude ourselves, but we're supposed to be doers of the Word of god and and uh, james one twenty one says putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. notice that? I think it's kind of a neat description of believers. What does it mean to be saved? Well, I have eternal life, I'm in the kingdom of Jesus Christ I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but yeah, there's some wickedness that remains. I've got some leftover baggage from my life as an unbeliever. I still, have a, I still have a sin nature that dwells in my, that no good thing that dwells in me. And it's kind of a neat, insulting kind of way to refer to it as, oh, that remaining wickedness. It's just hanging on while you're still physically alive but it's on the way out. Isn't that great? Anyway. Putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness in humility Receive the word implanted in humility. Receive the word implanted. And so when we confess our sins, we open up Bible class with, with silent prayer and you say, well I don't need that, I'm already in fellowship. Well then you need some humility, how about that? You, and you need to quiet your heart. And you need to prepare the ground for all the other things necessary. Great, I'm glad you're in fellowship, that's marvelous. Um, the rest of us though, we've got to catch up to you. <laughs> okay? And and uh, it's with humility receive the word implanted. So just ask the Father. Say, Father, teach me something tonight. I know I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn five things tonight. And, and feed me. Teach me. Uh, take this truth that I need. Because I don't know what's coming up next week, but you do. So open my eyes to what it is. And, and I want to receive it, and I want to receive it. And how deep does it have to get to be called implanted? Right? Implanted. That's not just laying there on the surface. That's not just a cursory understanding of something. I want it down deep. I want it as deep as it can get. And the Word of God plunges deep. We see that when it comes up in uh, Hebrews 4, right? It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's the surgeon's scalpel that I uh, usually thought of as a sword, but it's also a scalpel. And since Luke was a doctor, I think that's a better translation. But it, and, and where does it, where does it divide? In the human body, as deep as it wants to get to. There's no no depth it can't get to. So with humility, receive the word implanted, and now, which is able to save your souls. You notice that? Able to save your souls. That's another beautiful phase two use of salvation, phase two use of save. This is the ongoing salvation, the ongoing deliverance that happens. And the word of God is able to save you, you just got to use it. (laughs) <laughs> you've got to unite it by faith. Uh, the, they had the gospel preached to them and it didn't profit them at all. In the wilderness generation, the Exodus crowd, why? Because they didn't unite it with faith. And so they had good news preached to them and they died in the wilderness. It wasn't the word's fault, the word's profitable. This word is able to save your soul. So accept it by faith and receive it with humility implanted. These other uses I think are also useful for present uses. Romans chapter 5. And um, in verses 9 and 10. And and these get misread a lot. Romans 5 gets abused a lot. And I think different believers of different theologies enjoy Making their case from this chapter, because sometimes, I, but sometimes I think when they make their case from this chapter, they're reading the verses the way they want the verses to say instead of the way the verses actually say, and in, in a kind of a sloppy way, they end up misreading the verses. But um, you'll notice the um, we used to be unbelievers, and that's how the chapter starts. Having been justified by faith, so we're saved now. All that, all the doctrine from the first four chapters, here we are. We've been saved. Having been justified by faith, now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have an ongoing walk. We have an experience, the experiential Christian walk. through whom, Verse 2 says, "...through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God." And so there's a, there's a Christian walk that follows that salvation experience. That's just an introduction to grace. We've got a whole life of grace after that, and then we're going to have greater grace in, uh, in glory. Now you'll notice um, verse 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And uh, what, a, what a grace provision. And God demonstrates His own love towards us. Verse 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that was back then. We were sinners. We were, does that mean we don't sin anymore? Sure we do, but we're not sinners anymore. We're now saints, positionally, in Christ, saved. And so now much more than having now been justified by His blood, now that we are believers, now that we are having been justified ones, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Now, uh, I've, I've listed this on the slide. I'm identifying this as a phase two salvation, but a lot of folks put this in, into the phase three salvation, all right? And they're looking ahead to a future salvation. They're looking ahead to a future, you know, wrath, and they're thinking tribulation, or they're thinking hell, or they're thinking whatever. Um, and I get why they do that, but I still think it's preferable to view this as a phase two salvation reference because it's the uh, having now, presently, been justified by his blood we shall now presently daily be saved from the wrath of God through Him. And then it expands it here in verse 10, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled okay, what's the consequence? Are we have to wait for heaven when we die to receive this consequence? Or does this consequence follow immediately? Is this every day of the outworking of our salvation with fear and trembling? Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also exalt. you gonna to wait to heaven to do your exalting? Or are you gonna praise him now? Okay. Well, we're not waiting for heaven. We can praise him now. There's a pretty neat gospel quartet song that addresses that. I can't wait for heaven, I'm gonna praise him now. Why would I wait? I got a million reasons every day to praise him here and now. And there it is. Okay. Now what I'm going to listen to on the drive home. So, um, we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there it is. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 1 Corinthians 15.2. And the one in chapter 15 throws a lot of people, and they really struggle with that. But uh, in chapter 1, it says in verse 18... The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, that's present tense, right here, right now, it is the power of God. And that's, it's not, that's not saying the same thing that Romans 1.16 said, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the, to the, the Jew first, also to the Greek, right? Right? I have no problem taking Romans 1 as a phase 1 salvation reference. I think this is a phase 2 salvation reference. That uh, not only is the uh, the, the gospel, or here it's called the word of the cross, it's, uh, man it's powerful. And it keeps on being powerful. Just as much today as it was the day that it saved me. It keeps on saving me. All day, every day. It is the power of God. The power of God. And this is the experiential salvation that rescues us from the power of sin. Chapter 15. And uh, pretty common to skip over verses 1 and 2 because everybody's in a hurry to get to verses 3 and following. <laughs> I delivered you as a first importance. Well, before you get to that, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. I love this. This is marvelous. There's a difference between teaching somebody and making them know something. (laughs) Because sometimes you can teach them and they don't learn and they don't know anything. But you understand the difference? He is making this known. I am making you know this. I make known to you, brethren. And he's calling them, of course, their brethren. They're saved. Why do you preach the gospel to save people? Why do saved people need the gospel known, made known to them? Okay, yeah, this is a. There's there's all kinds of good news. There's the good news for the phase one salvation, but phase two salvation also has good news connected to it, and phase three salvation has good news connected to it. In any event, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand. Okay, now. Also, too, I think, even, so verse one, I don't have any issue with verse one looking back to how they got saved and where they are now. But then also it says, by which also you are presently now being saved. So verse one looked back to that moment. Verse two is now looking presently at where they are now, connected with a great big if, by which you are presently now being saved, if you hold fast. The word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so, the idea about um, about not using the word of God, the idea about not making use of the word of God that can save you experientially, because why? You think that you're just content to have eternal life that with phase one salvation that's good enough, and now you're kind of retired and ready to go to heaven. You're just going to go from phase one to phase three and not really sweat the the stuff in between, okay? Wow, um, that's that's going to be a naked believer at the judgment seat of Christ. I tell you, he's going everything's going to be burned up through fu- uh, the fire. He himself will be saved, and so is through fire, but with with nothing but a lifetime of accumulated wood hay and stubble. What a sad, uh, what a sad judgment. And so uh, we can view this as well. Also, I think there's. A good factor in preaching the gospel to people that are already saved is the fact that uh, the day they got saved, how much of the gospel do they really understand anyway? You know I mean, there's, there's 21 other doctrines connected to salvation, including imputation and justification and, and expiation, and I mean all kinds of other things, and, and it's probably the case that they may be glommed on to two percent of everything there is to know for whatever the case might be. You know, whatever it was, the spirit was convicting them of, and and if it was the idea that I don't want to go to hell, then that's the big takeaway that they got from the the good news that was preached to them. So they believed in Christ, but there was more good news than the one takeaway they they grabbed onto. And uh, maybe it wasn't a sin thing, maybe it was, uh, or maybe it wasn't hell so much. Maybe it was just the sin thing, or maybe it was reconciliation. That's common. I've, I've spoken to several folks where they the whole idea that wow god wants me to be reconciled to him i've never had a you know a human father or you know one that i knew or one that loved me here's here's a god that loves me and that idea that somebody loves me or cast your care on him for he cares for you are you kidding somebody in this universe cares for me that can be powerful and so yeah, maybe that evangelist kept flapping his lips on, on all kinds of other extraneous things. You stopped caring five minutes ago because he sold you at, 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 at love, right? He sold you at God loves you. Or, or your sins are forgiven, or whatever the case may be. So we get saved, we start to grow, and then the Holy Spirit comes alongside. And now that we're saved, now we're equipped to learn doctrine. Now we can learn spiritual things. Now we start to fill in the details of, oh, you know what? I think he was telling me that when he was leading me to Christ but I I was kind of ignoring you know. I was too excited to be saved. Anyway, so yes, it's the gospel and it's the same same gospel I preached to you and I continue to preach to you. Which also you received. So that's a completed action. You received it. We're good. In which also you stand. Because it's just an introduction to this grace in which we stand. We continue to walk in these things. By which also you are now presently being saved if. And the experiential phase two salvation has great big ifs connected to it. All right. And that's the the application there. And then, of course, there's the future salvation. The ultimate salvation. At, uh, none of us have experienced yet because everybody I'm looking at right here, right now is still right here, right now. But when you die or at the rapture of the church, at whatever point that you and I cast off mortality and put on immortality, when we're raptured or physically dead, then uh, we, our, our synectomy is complete. Okay, we, Our sin is removed. Either uh, and, and we're gone. We're, we're with the Lord and so we' we're, we're rescued from the penalty of sin we're rescued from the power of sin we 're rescued from the presence of sin and this is the ultimate sanctification, the ultimate salvation in romans thirteen eleven hebrews nine twenty eight there's there's more like i say I recommend uh just tracking this down your on your own study and enjoy it it's a fun study um yeah. We've got uh we've got a walk, we've got expectations. Uh verses one through ten, I won't read those to you, but it says in verse eleven, do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And that phrase right there says quite a lot, doesn't it? It's time to wake up. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Now if you think about it, death is often the metaphor for death is often sleep. Uh, sleep is used as a metaphor because yeah, the body lays there and it looks asleep. And and the body's gonna wake up someday in the resurrection. So it's called sleep. And uh although I believe it's a conscious bliss in the presence of Jesus Christ that we are fellowshipping with him and and uh and so forth, but it still is referred to as a sleep. But he doesn't say the hour, uh, the t- know this, uh, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to die and go to heaven, or it's already the hour for you to die and sleep, you're closer to death than you've ever been before. Which is true, but that's not what this verse says. You're closer to awakening from sleep. So if you're closer to your physical death, that means you're also closer to your resurrection. Okay? And that's the step that he's going to. And I find that kind of curious. But it's time for you to, out, uh, to awaken. It's, it's, it's near. To awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That's what it's about. The night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Anyway, there's a future salvation and uh, we're looking forward to that. Hebrews 9.28 addresses this future salvation. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. This is a future salvation that we're looking forward to. Oh that it were today. So we have these three modes of salvation. Now, when we're in Philippians 2 and we're told to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, um, the crowd that's terrified of the Armenian crowd that thinks they can lose their salvation wants to work for it and work hard to stay saved, uh, the works crowd that wants to work for their salvation wants to work hard to get saved, and, and they're both thinking of it in terms of phase one, and so they're totally wrong. Okay, And then it's pretty simple and pretty easy and pretty standard to, uh, to then say, well clearly this is working out your phase two salvation. And this is uh, the experiential salvation. This is what we have to work. This is what we have to produce. This is what we have to work out. And I haven't given you the vocabulary for work out yet, but it's a productive term. It means we're the ones doing it. Okay, And uh, if we're the ones doing it and it depends on us that can be kind of scary. Until we read the next verse and we realize oh, no, God's the one that's doing it. He's working in and through us for His good pleasure. To will and to work for His good pleasure. But then I would also ask you and say now wait a minute. Is it bigger than just phase two salvation? Is there something else in this context that would give us this clue? Because my consideration is maybe this is not talking about phase two at all. This is talking about phase two on the way to get to phase three. See? That when we're working out our salvation, we're actually producing what we're going to hear when we stand before the Bema seat. What's, what did Jesus hear when He was presented before the Father? Remember, taking, again, taking it back to the context, the comparison here is with Jesus. Jesus humbled Himself. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, is anything in that context talking about Jesus working out his phase two salvation? It says, for this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. See, this passage, the kenosis hymn and the doctrine of that that message talks about Jesus humility in phase 2 and then the exaltation that comes at phase 3 so we have a comparison with Jesus with the father exalting him and bestowing on him a name i believe this provides a contextual basis for the philippians 2:12 salvation being number 3 in application okay as opposed to number 2 all right and just uh Wrap your mind around that for a bit and give that some thought. And and I'm not going to really pick nits or or argue too strenuously for folks that want to view this in a phase two kind of way because that's going to be the process that gets you to that phase three salvation. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll discuss this as well. I think when we, uh, particularly as we address the keep on working out, because that keep on working out is... uh, Achieving something. Achieving something. And that becomes useful as well. All right. So when it says working out your own salvation, producing, producing, or working out, or um, bringing about a result, achieving, achieving your own salvation. Okay. Now, nobody in this room would dispute that that's impossible for salvation number one we then have to start to ask ourselves, well, no, wait a minute, can we do that with salvation number two? <laughs> you know? Does the, does the Bible really leave it all on me to save myself from the power of sin? Because all these other verses we were looking at for the present experiential salvation, it seemed to be it was the Word of God that's able to save me. It seemed to be God that was saving me. But we, we're about to look at an imperative here for work out that is an active voice. I'm the one doing it. And I'm doing it reflexively. You, all y'all. Work out all you all salvation. And so now, wait a minute, maybe am I looking forward to a phase three salvation passage? And if that's the case, how do I produce that? How do I make that happen? Well, with fear and trembling, and watching God who's at work within you. That's, I think that tandem brings it clear. Alright. Which is our third thing we've got to deal with here in this fear and trembling. So uh, again, that was point two with fear and trembling, with a sub-point A, with a subpoint B, and now with a sub-point C, keep on working out. Keep on working out. It's a compound of ergadzomai with kata. Kat ergadzestas is how it says in the, in the manuscript, in the text. Uh, but that's uh, second person plural, present active imperative, present middle, I'm sorry, present middle imperative, middle voice. Kat ergadzomai. So an ergon is work. Ergodzimai is the verb to work. Kata ergazamai. If you really want to nail it down. okay, It's an intensification. Kata intensifies. Kata also uh, has a downward motion in some cases. Used 22 times in the New Testament. And it does. It speaks about uh, bringing about a result by doing something. And the real difference between working and achieving is huge. Okay, and we all can illustrate this. Have you ever worked and worked and worked and worked, and at the end of the day, was anything achieved? You say, "Well, wait a minute. How can I put so much work into this, and there was no work done? It seems like there was no achievement. It was no results. There was no accomplishment." And so the, I think the shades of distinction here between er, gods am I and kotergodsamai. The idea is is that more than just working, I'm actually achieving something with this verb. Okay? So to bring about a result by doing something. And you can translate it as achieve, accomplish, do. Okay? The only problem with the do is that do is ubiquitous in our our culture. I mean we do all kinds of things. We do lunch. We do we do we do the do. Mountain Dew commercials. We do... Anyway, but the idea of achievement and accomplishments. Now, out of the 22 uses, it's the only place ever that it's an imperative. How's that for interesting? Okay. So, um, this is what we'll... I'll give you a teaser on this. Make this larger. Pop it out. Maximize it. There we go. All right. Kat ergodzmai produce, do, bring about, prepare, accomplish. And uh, the top panel gives you your uh, your top lexicons. You got your usage marker there on the right. Tw- Twenty two uses through the New Testament. Here's your translations and. You know, you've got 22 different places where it's used. Look at that variety in the color wheel. okay? And you realize, you know, as far as this verb goes, it's pretty idiomatic in the variety of usages, the variety of ways it's employed, the various contexts that it appears in. And it's not exactly an easy animal to nail down and uh and the idea that well there's we can just make it a one to one correspondence and just have one english word all the time for any one greek word that's 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 a fallacy you can't do that in in many cases especially in this case and so um the idea of produce produces producing uh is is the the most common of all the uses and you can expand that out there and see the uses there and these were probably very familiar to us, sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me. It worked in me. It accomplished in me. The coveting of every kind. So you see, it's it's an achievement. It's an accomplishment. It's a production. It got something done. And in Paul's case, it was something bad, but it was still something was done. Um, momentary light affliction is producing, creating, achieving, accomplishing for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Okay, say, well, I don't like suffering. I don't like affliction. Well, can you name something else that's so effective, that's so productive, that achieves the end result that that we all should want? Do we not want uh, the eternal weight of glory that we can cast at His feet? I think He's worth it. I don't want to just hand Him some pocket change and say, here, I scraped this together because I really wasn't all that into the suffering thing, okay? While I'm face-to-face with the ultimate in suffering. 2 Corinthians 7.10, The sorrow, according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, phase two. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world produces death. It's uh, productive. It's effective. It achieves its goal. And it's not salvation, it's death. And so all this world, the cosmic system guilt trip you've ever been exposed to, the sorrow of this cosmos is all it's designed to do is put you in an operational death carnality where you're not glorifying Jesus Christ. And yet in the case of uh, the man of incest there, what earnestness is the very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. Has uh, produced, effected, accomplished, achieved. All right. James 1.3, the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith actively works out, achieves, accomplishes, produces, results in endurance. Do you know anything else that results in endurance? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's just a taste. We'll, we'll come back to that. we got the other things on the color wheel. Doing, committed, brings about, accomplished, does, affecting, performed, prepared, done, work out and carried out. The time past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, to have accomplished, achieved. Anyway, we'll deal with that Sunday. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your grace and truth. I thank you for brothers and sisters that are hungry and that uh, have no interest in the fun and games and the entertainment and having their ears tickled. They want to feast on the meat, they want to digest it, they want to live it. So, Father, I pray with humility each one here tonight would receive the word implanted and that, Father, uh, bury it deep. Just let it, let it have that good depth of soil. And so, Father, uh, when called upon in application, let it spring forth to bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. Father, I just thank you for being faithful. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.